What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. He's bringing like playing us from the grave. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, building the bill for the build. The lawmakers in the room where it happens for infrastructure with a bipartisan approach. House Democrat Josh Gottheimer. Line by line, making sure we're investing in the right policy and with the right dollars. And Republican Senator Rob Portman. Before the pandemic, we had rising wages. We had the lowest poverty rate in the history of the country. We had a lot of good stuff going on. Peter Thiel turning a Roth IRA into a tax-free piggy bank for billions. Breaking down the latest ProPublica report about the wealthy and their taxes with Anthony Scaramucci. Some people will say that that's unfair, but that is really the bedrock of the capitalist system to allow capital to form. And then, of course, to be borrowing against your capital, that's as old as anything in our societies. And Joe, Becky and Andrew on software magnate John McAfee. His dramatic story decades long on CNBC comes to an end. He was a, a real piece of work. I mean, he's like playing us from the grave. It's Thursday, June 24th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, I don't even know how to describe this news. Eccentric uh, antivirus software uh, founder John McAfee uh, has died of a suspected suicide in his prison cell in Barcelona, Spain yesterday. He was found shortly after Spain's national court approved his extradition back to the United States to face criminal tax evasion charges. His lawyer said he had hung himself when he learned of the court's ruling. He was accused of not filing tax returns from uh, 2014 to 2018. That's despite receiving considerable income from promoting cryptocurrencies, consulting work, speaking engagements, and selling the rights to his life story for a documentary. He was arrested last October at the airport in Barcelona on the tax evasion charges, which carry a maximum sentence of 30 years in prison. If I have extradited, it is certain that I will spend the rest of my life in prison because the United States wants to use me as an example. He sought to avoid extradition, claiming he would be politically persecuted in the United States because of his criticism of the IRS. McAfee was 75 years old. Joe, you interviewed John McAfee back in the day. Well, not, not knowing whether or not you're, you're infected with the virus, uh, I think there's a couple things that anybody should do today. Before you really decide to dive into your email, the first thing that you need to do is to look into your email to see if you see anything that looks slightly suspicious. I'd, he had so many chapters in his, uh, his, in, his insane sort of life. I don't know whether you call it well-lived. He was a, he's a real piece of work. I mean, even in death, <laughs> he Andrew, was. even he in was. death, he, he's... he's I don't know the facts, what, looks, what it looks like in Barcelona, although you read what they say, it was very clear cut, supposedly. But, you know, he was tweeting recently that 
If anything happens to me, I'm telling you, it, uh, I did not hang right. myself. It's an Epstein situation. Do you see his tattoo? It says whack. He had a tattoo put on his arm that says whacked. So it's, it's almost as if, you know, I don't know. I, we, nobody knows, obviously, but he's like playing us from the grave at this point. Yep. Not the first time he's uh, left a com- country, Belize, where his neighbor disappeared. He right. was wanted for, for that, and he disappeared saying that he, he feared for his life, which is why he said he left then. As we've been alluding to, one of the most uh, bizarre stories of the year, we will be speaking to uh, internet security software pioneer John McAfee, who it says here on the run from authorities in, in Belize, but he didn't get arrested here, and, and they actually, the authorities escorted him to his hotel room oh, right. in, uh, in South Beach. He'll join us live at 8.40 a.m. Eastern. Uh, first, though, Andrew, um, you have this morning's I have this morning's headlines, but I could just, we just talk about John McAfee probably for the rest of the hour, if you'd like. And it's going to be Robert Frank. Who got Robert this Frank interview. got this interview. He's going to be on set, and it's going to be, uh, be an inter- yeah. interesting thing. The global hide game of hide-and-seek with John McAfee has riveted the country for weeks. He's wanted for questioning for a murder in Belize. He is now in Miami. We think he joins us first on CNBC to tell us where this bizarre story goes next. John, thanks so much for joining us. Where You are in Miami, aren't you? This is about the 11th attempt to, to charge me or something. I will not be charged with this. Um, the, uh, they, I will certainly answer any questions, and I've offered to answer them in a neutral country. If I am, well, I'm certainly going to answer them, but it will not happen, sir. John, as a, as a hoaxer, we don't, that makes it hard for us to know whether you're, you're just playing us or, or whether you're, you're eccentric or crazy or, or, or whatever. And the IRS probably would be after you if you didn't report any taxes from 2000. We didn't file returns. We didn't file returns from 2014 yeah. to, to 2018. Right. So, it's, I, when I saw it, Andrew and, and Becky, you know, and, and all the previous tweets, I immediately, I mean, it, you'd, you immediately want to think Epstein or some conspiracy thing, but then you look at the actual details. That was the same day that he was going to look like he was definitely right. going to get extradited. No one wants to spend the next 30 years in a jail in Spain or a jail in the United no, States. No, he, he's right. 75. Yeah, and he's 75. Now, uh, he lived let's... many lives. He lived many lives. Coming up on Squawk Pod, a tax-free piggy bank. ProPublica's new big billionaire story, a tool for middle-class savings, turned into a shelter for the billionaire's billions, and how tech mogul Peter Thiel pulled it off. CNBC's wealth reporter Robert Frank. Clearly likely going to lead to some calls in Congress for some kind of reform. And Anthony Scaramucci on how the wealthy move, save, protect, and grow their money. Spoiler, it's not by sinking it. My money, your money, Andrew, Joe's money, it's not in a swimming pool in our backyard in $100 bills. It's being invested in the economy. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. A ProPublica article, a new one, published this morning, highlighting how tech mogul Peter Thiel turned a Roth IRA account into a $5 billion tax-free piggy bank. Robert Frank uh, joins us now with more. Um, I mean, the, 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 well, let's talk about it, Robert. What a brilliant move right at the outset to see that this could be done and how it paid off. It's really an outlier, but there's quite a few of these guys that got a couple of hundred million, not five billion, but they've grown these things to a couple of hundred million. Yeah, I mean, Warren Buffett, Bob Mercer, both of them have tens of millions in these accounts. Let's just go back and explain what this article, this is, as you mentioned, the second in this series of articles from ProPublica looking at the how the wealthy use loopholes in the tax system to lower their income taxes. This article says that billionaire Peter Thiel used a Roth IRA to shelter billions from taxes. The report saying Thiel grew his IRA from $1,700 in 1999 to $5 billion in 2019. Now, if he waits to withdraw that money until he turns 60, that will be in 2027. He can start withdrawing those funds without paying any income taxes on that as it has grown over that time. Now, most IRAs have a limit of $6,000 a year in annual contributions. That was installed just to prevent this kind of abuse. But Teal was able to get around that by buy, by basically buying shares of, of uh, PayPal at the time, which he was a co-founder of back in 1999. He paid less than pennies per share for that. And then as the value of PayPal exploded, the value of those shares exploded tax-free inside the IRA. And therefore, that is why now in the future, at the age of 60, he can withdraw it. And of course, the Roth IRA, which was created in 1998, was aimed at helping middle Americans save for retirement. The fact that now it's being used as a tax shelter for billionaires, clearly likely going to lead to some calls in Congress for some kind of reform, although it's hard to tell how they would reform this particular abuse, given that at the time he was below that $6,000 threshold. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what it was actually worth. That, that's the thing you worry about. This, whether... is the, this isn't a problem of him being able to contribute to this. It's, it's what he used it to buy with. Because the article says it... he paid a tenth of a cent for each right. of those shares that were valued by the company at that point, nobody else. Right. I mean, if, if you're buying public equities, I think it's a different story than if you are able to say, I'm going to buy this private stake and I'm going to value it at whatever I decide to value it so that I can make sure that I can, with my $2,000, by a massive chunk well, of a does, privately sir, held company. It, and it right. does sort of taint what was an unbelievable move to found PayPal right. and, and, and to have something that grew to, to being worth his stake being worth $5 billion. He's a genius to, to be able to do that. Did he need to? I mean, if you are a genius and you see the opportunity, if your accountant came to you and said, hey, Peter, check this out, right. you put it in it and you do it. Uh, and, apparently yeah. you did because they were considering right. yeah. just doing a regular IRA where you pay taxes when no, you take the money he, out. These, this was a brand new thing at that point. But, this accountant but said maybe do this. The, is the, 
But I, the question is, is, is this about the fact that private company shares are allowed in a Roth IRA? Maybe yeah, that's that crazy. part of the issue. However, and maybe you can, you can help us with this, Robert, it appears that Warren Buffett uh, has something like $20 million in his, in his fund. I don't know if that's all publicly traded shares that got to $20 million. I don't Ted think Wechsler that could be a Roth IRA because if the Roth IRA, just reading through this article, if the Roth IRA didn't come until 1997, Buffett would have been making more money, had more in income than he would have qualified for that. I know he's talked about an IRA in the past, just talking about compound interest. And I know that back in the early 70s, he did put well, like $7,500 a year is how, for four Then years. the question is how you got to those numbers. Ted, Ted Wechsler, his deputy... Uh, is is said to have two hundred sixty four million or two hundred sixty five million dollars in his Roth IRA as of the end of two thousand eighteen, and says that he did it uh, through publicly traded uh, shares that are available to everybody. So I, it's it's hard to understand how how we got to this place. Right. And then the other thing, Robert, uh, obviously, is it, it 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 was a pretty good vehicle for middle. Uh, the income people or whatever you want to call them, to, to, to build a nest egg. Does this situation with a handful of, of billionaires, does that, there must be a way to fix it without throwing right, out the, the uh, you know, it shouldn't be a, a way to build a golden well, egg, just but, but to build a, a nest egg. Let's, let's uh, th- thanks Robert for jumping on that with this one after that came out. To discuss more is Anthony uh, Scaramucci, founder and co-managing partner at Skybridge Capital. He's also a CNBC contributor. You could find multiple things in the tax code, Anthony, where if you get this, a smart enough guy, uh, this type of stuff can happen just because it's so hard to write these things. They, they, they really tried with the Roth to, to prevent this from happening, and yet there is still a way to do it. So what's the solution? Well, one of the ways to solve it is that if your Roth IRA goes over $3 million, $5 million, Joe, pick a number, it starts getting taxed. And so that takes a, uh, an incentive away from doing what Peter Thiel did. Or, you know, you could, you could also take a position that you, uh, you know, it's a million dollars, period, the end. Anything above a million dollars, you either have to take it out of the Roth IRA and subject it to taxation, capital gains or income tax. Something like that, a threshold will likely be imposed after a story like this, because I think that the... Uh, the goal for this stuff was to help middle-income people, lower-income people, uh, you know, have a nest egg for their future. That, uh, that's one way. We've had lots of tax uh, conversations recently, uh, Anthony. I, I, don't, you know, I don't know anyone like you or me or even Andrew or that, that says the, the wealth tax just is, is, is a way to go about that. Maybe, maybe I'm, I don't want to speak for you. Do you. Is that confiscatory? If you've already paid income taxes on it and built it up to that point, do you think the government should just come in and say, I want five, 10, 15? She says only three, two, three cents, Elizabeth Warren. But is that one way to do it? That would be a weapon of massive capital destruction. Uh, There is no society for 5,500 years that has imposed a wealth tax that anything other than an unmitigated disaster as a result of that policy. So you can't do that. Uh, the cold hard truth, though, is that we're borrowing about 53 cents for every dollar that we're spending now. We can blame it on the pandemic, but we have to step back and look at that and see if that's going to erode the confidence in our capital system, the U.S. dollar, et cetera. And so uh, nations that do that, Joe, uh, they always get in trouble. 
Um, we probably need a value added tax in the country. I say that regretfully because, you know, I'm a right of center fiscal conservative. I certainly don't want a value added tax. But if you step back and look at the amount of spending that we're doing, we need sort of that tax to catch some of these people that are outside of the tax system. And so when goods or services are flowing back and forth, the people are getting paid in cash or they're they're off the grid, so to speak, from a tax perspective, we're able to collect revenues from them. Anthony, uh, how would you – I was just going to ask, Anthony, how would you handle um, the idea of folks, uh, really uh, truly wealthy folks who effectively take unrealized gains in terms of stock and co- use that as collateral to effectively take out loans, live off of the loans – some, in some cases, they live off the loans the enti- their, their entire life. And then, of course, it gets stepped up uh, at, at death. Um, we saw this seems to be the case a little bit with, uh, with Jeff Bezos. Not that he's living off the loans completely till death, because he actually does sell shares occasionally. But he usually takes that money, it seems, and, and uses it to fund Blue Origin. So, again, another complicated thing. We've decided in 1913 that we were going to have an income tax not an asset tax in the United States. And so why did they do that? Because they were trying to incentivize the formation of capital. Moreover, everybody knows that the capital gains was a lower rate. Uh, Why were they doing that? They were trying to institute and incentivize you to have a a long-term gain so that you could put that money back into your company. What I would submit to people here is something that Ken Langone once said a long time ago, my money, your money, Andrew, Joe's money, it's not in a swimming pool in our backyard in $100 bills. It's being invested in the economy. And so I don't really have a sensible solution for that. Some people will say that that's unfair, uh, but that is really the bedrock of the capitalist system to allow capital to form. And then, of course, to be borrowing against your capital, that's as old as anything in our, in our societies. It may go up to ordinary income. Uh, if it, we'll, we'll see what, what finally happens. Where were you and I, Joe, when PayPal got formed? That's what I want to know. I mean, I don't know what I was <laughs> that's, doing. That's, that's the sad part of this. What a great, what a great investment to make that, that grew to $5 billion. But uh, no taxes. Awesome. Wow. Uh, all right. Thanks, Anthony. Coming up on Swap Pod, construction always takes longer than expected, but lawmakers say the infrastructure scaffolding is in place, almost. Republican Senator Rob Portman. My hope is that for Democrats, you know, they focus on what's good for the economy. And his Democratic colleague, Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Roads, bridges, rail, water infrastructure, energy. The bipartisan build continues on the Hill, even on social media. If you change your Twitter account to Congressman Josh Heimer... <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand by, Joe. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. One, his mic, cue. Now to the latest on a potential infrastructure deal. There's still looked 
pretty good. How he looks now. Uh, the bipartisan group of senators working on a compromise package. Uh, they reached a tentative agreement with White House officials. They are set to brief the president on the framework today. The lawmakers declined to disclose the details of the agreement, only saying that the group uh, had agreed not only on spending levels for various infrastructure projects, but also on how to pay for it all. An earlier framework included $974 billion of spending over five years. Uh, some of that was already earmarked, I guess, but it's $579 billion in, in new projects. Look, reading through this, the idea that both Schumer and Nancy Pelosi seem like they're on board with this and ready to go along with it gives it a lot more credence. The idea that the, the top Democrats would say, OK, we're going to move it through both chambers. Um, what the White House says is going to be key. But then the question becomes, do they have enough votes? Because Bernie Sanders right now is working on a counterproposal that would be a $6 trillion deal, uh, up to $6 trillion, that would be one that the progressives are behind. So the question is, you've got 21 senators on board with this, 11 of them. You know, do you have enough Republicans to make up for the progressive Democrats that you might lose yeah. for this bill? There were, you know, that six tr someone mentioned that yesterday. I think I said four, an additional four. And they said six, and then even some... Even some people you would think of as, as, as progressive were like, wait a minute, we, we six? Are we talk, talking six? Right. I mean, six. We're going to add six on to everything? I, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Do we... We definitely need another six? I don't know. A bipartisan group of 21 senators is going to be heading to the White House today to see if they can sell President Biden on the deal. Joining us right now is one of those senators, Rob Portman. Of course, he's Republican from Ohio. He's one of the lead Senate negotiators on this. Also joining us is Democratic Congressman Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey. He's the co-chair of the Bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus. And gentlemen, the market is up today, and it may be because there is more optimism about a bipartisan deal actually getting done. And, and seeing that additional money go into infrastructure this morning, I, I, I will admit I've been skeptical, but hearing where you are right now, um, it, it does sound promising. You've got both uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi uh, basically sounding like they're signing off. Um, Senator, I'll ask you first, what, what's the early read you've gotten from the White House just as to whether or not the terms you all have laid out would, would be acceptable? And the markets haven't even heard from Josh and me yet, which is a rare bipartisan, bicameral uh, appearance on, on Squawk Box. Uh, look, we'll see what, what, what the president says, but I will tell you we've worked very closely with White House negotiators all through this process, as well as uh, working with Josh and his team over in the House. So we've tried to keep this as broad as possible. We now will be going out to our colleagues on both sides of the aisle talking about the specifics. You and I have talked about this before, but this is about long-term capital investments to help the economy, make it more efficient, make it more productive. It's going to have a, a positive effect on the economy. It doesn't affect inflation because, it, in effect, it's adding to the supply side rather than the demand side, which is the issue with short-term stimulus spending. So I think this is a good thing for the economy right now. It's consistent with what every president over the last four or five have been asking for but haven't been able to get done. President Trump, as you recall, had a, an ambitious $2 trillion infrastructure package. This is about a trillion dollars over the same period of time, $559 billion over the five-year period of new infrastructure. So I, I'm hopeful we can get a positive response from the White House today. And most importantly, it's good for America. 
Josh, I, I have to say, hearing that the House and uh, the Senate leadership are both kind of signing off on this, it, at least it sounds like that. If that's the case, that probably gives this a much higher chance of passing. What, what have you heard from, from the House leadership, from Nancy Pelosi's office? Well, Becky, I think this is great news, and I, you know, I want to give Rob uh, a lot of credit for his leadership and Kirsten Sinema and others in the Senate. We've been working closely together, as we've talked about here before, on getting a bipartisan, bicameral deal done on physical infrastructure, with roads, bridges, rail, water infrastructure, uh, energy, and, and this delivers on it. And we've been working very closely together for months. At the House Problem Solvers Caucus, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we put out a, our package of building bridges, which was very similar to this package. And, uh, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because we're actually working together. I know that sounds crazy. Uh, you know, Democrat and Republican across chambers working together. But this is actually the model of how you govern together and getting it done. And as we, as Rob just said, we've been talking about physical infrastructure and trying to get it done for years now, and we're now inches away. And I just want to thank the senator uh, for his incredible leadership on this. While you two have been doing this, uh, we've also heard that Bernie Sanders is working on his own package, one that would just be voted on, uh, would only need a majority, uh, and that it would be the Democrats alone kind of doing this through budget reconciliation. It's a much, much bigger project, uh, closer to $6 trillion, 4 to $6 trillion, depending on what reports you're listening to. Uh, I, I guess my question, Senator, I'll start with you on this, and then, Congressman, you can weigh in on this, too. Where are the votes? Because if, if you all move forward with this bipartisan deal, you are going to lose some of the more progressive votes on the left. Do you have enough to make sure that your package passes? And, and I guess, how, how do you say that your package is going to beat out over Bernie's at this point? Rob, we'll start with you. Well, we'll see. I mean, we started off, as you know, with the proposal from President Biden, which was $2.65 trillion, uh, again, as compared to our package, which is about a trillion dollars. It also included a lot of non-infrastructure-related items. In fact, most of it had nothing to do with the kind of hard infrastructure that Josh was just talking about. It also had huge tax increases, over $2 trillion of income tax increases, on the corporate side primarily. Uh, none of that's in this package. So this is core infrastructure and no new income taxes, corporate or individual. And that was our that was our goal as Republicans and Democrats to try to pull together and do something in a bipartisan way. So my hope is we can keep that group together, move forward on that basis. In terms of reconciliation, I'll let Josh talk to that, but uh, Democrats were going to move forward with a broad reconciliation bill with a, a lot of tax increases, in fact, the most in the history of our country. Uh, regardless, my sense is that infrastructure, if we can get this done separately, being pulled out of it, makes it a less attractive package for a lot of particularly more moderate Democrats. But I'll, I'll let Josh answer that question. Thanks. Much <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'd say first things first is let's get this done and get it over the finish line. I think it's, we're close. we got to make sure we can get this out of the House as well. I think we've got a very good bipartisan group for that. We're going to need Republican votes, not just Democratic votes in the House to get this done. Uh, and, you know, listen... We'll, we'll see what's next and, and, and what's up before us. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen any of the specifics of, of uh, Senator Sanders' plan. It seems uh, a little aggressive to me, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see <laughs> well, the details and we'll deal with that. But we've got we to get through this. It, his plan would be more than the Biden administration has asked for, and there were a lot of people who thought the Biden administration's plan was pretty aggressive. Uh, but... Uh, Rob, yeah, well, you know, Becky, that... I'm not exactly thrilled with lots of I'm not exactly thrilled with lots of new taxes. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's the right approach coming out of uh, a crisis that we faced. Uh, and so uh, I'm focused on how we're going to get taxes down in the state of Jersey, make things more affordable. Uh, you know, but again, I, I think what's what we should do right now is get this physical infrastructure package 
over the finish line and then reassess where we are. There were some headlines floating out the other day, Josh, that suggested that, that maybe uh, Senator Sanders' bill would allow for the SALT deductions, which I know is an issue that you have pushed very hard for. Which is more important to you, to get the SALT deductions? Would that buy your vote for that? Or is it more important for you to have a bipartisan deal that you move forward with? Well, you know I love reinstating SALT and getting taxes down, but the bottom line is we're going to have to look at that totality of the package and see what impact it's going to have on my district and the and New Jersey, uh, and also in what else is involved in that package. It's hard to talk about these things in, in theory. You've got to actually see the fine print, which is exactly on the physical infrastructure side and the hard infrastructure, what's taken a long time working together, line by line, making sure we're investing in the right policy priorities and with the right dollars. Because, you know, as, as the senator will tell you, being responsible and doing this the right way and is much smarter than just right, throwing a lot at it without a, a real strategy. Oh. Josh Heimer, it sounds like you're folding on the SALT uh, the ultimatum uh, to me. If, if you use that, you change your Twitter account to Congressman Josh Heimer? Joe, have you, seen, Joe, have, you seen the, Joe have you seen the deal yet? Because I haven't seen it. I know you're close to Bernie, but, I, you know, I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I met him on a train once. He's very, he very nice. I can't do it with Rob Portman. I met Josh on a train once. You did? On the air um, Okay, so you don't, you don't know, but... And, and, hey, Rob, what's going on with with Manchin? I want to know what's really going on in his mind. What does he want? And is there something where he'll just give in on a lot of important stuff that we think, you know, he's going to stand firm on? Is there some perk or some way that he's going to backtrack on all those uh, promises when he gets something he wants for West Virginia or God knows what? What do you, you know him? What do you think? Well, you have to talk to Joe himself, Joe. No, but, uh, he's not he here, got, but you are. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot in this package uh, for infrastructure for West Virginia uh, and for Ohio and for every other state because, you know, they've got crumbling infrastructure there. They've got the roads and bridges issue. They have a tough time paying for it. So, you know, this is something that's going to be helpful in terms of the economy of West Virginia. Uh, I, I will yeah. say that. He's strongly supportive of this package, and he was a big part of it. So my hope is that for Democrats, you know, they focus on what's good for the economy and it, raising taxes right now, particularly making our country less competitive at a time when we finally have a tax rate for not so much corporations, is what I'm concerned about, but the workers, because most of the benefit of the tax cuts went to the workers based on the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office and other economic analysis. We've talked yeah. about that in this show before. When you raise those taxes, particularly raising them five times higher than we cut them in 2017, it's going to really hurt. Our workers Rob, what, in terms of what, wages what, and benefits and competitiveness. There's some things that even we agree here on, on, on the show, and I'm, I'm addressing both of you gentlemen on this. And, and that might, one of them might be, and you saw probably the, the ProPublica piece, and I don't agree with most of what, what's in that piece, because if you've paid income taxes as you were accruing wealth, I don't see how suddenly that's ripe for taxation again. But, but let's say you have just assets that have appreciated over time that you're, you're either going to leave to your heirs or give to charity and they never ever see taxation. Or what about borrowing against those assets and funding lavish lifestyles where you have income but it's not reported income? Republicans, Rob, usually all, anything addressing any of these loopholes are many times are non-starters. Would you be open to something that would address some of those issues, Rob? Well, the issue you're talking about, Joe, is, is probably one where Republicans and Democrats could talk about because it's about people not um, having any income taxes, but rather, you know, relying on either borrowing against their assets or, or in some cases, cap capital gains taxes. But, Joe, here's the, here's the 
focus that uh, I, I hope we will have going forward, which is let's not put our small businesses and our farms and our ranches in a position where they literally can't be passed on from generation to generation by not allowing step-up in basis and by increasing the estate tax so high, because that's, that's what's going on here in combination with much higher capital gains taxes. It would, it would be harmful to the very backbone of our economy. So that's what I'm concerned about uh, from what I hear about what's in the, the Sanders package. We'll see. But you, you don't want to go there uh, because, again, Josh said it well. We're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we finally see, you know, a, a nice economic recovery. We've got to deal with the inflation issue. We've got to focus on the supply side, which is what, by the way, more infrastructure is all about. And, and we've got to focus on ensuring that we're not doing the wrong thing now so that we get off track. Before the pandemic, remember, we had rising wages. We had the lowest poverty rate in the history of the country. Uh, we had low unemployment, right. historically low for blacks, Hispanics. So we, we had a lot of good stuff going on. We need to get back hey, to that. Hey, Senator. Senator, just a question as you think about the estate tax in the context of small businesses, farms. First of all, we should, we should just note it's a very small po- the, On the farm side, it's a very, very small portion uh, of, of, of the issues that actually would get, would get hit. Um, and maybe you could create some kinds of exceptions around it. But at what point is, is a lifetime, I always say to myself, is a, li- a lifetime of not getting taxed seems to be enough. And is there an upper limit? Meaning, would you say the first $15 million, $20 million goes, but, you know, if you have a small business, at some point, the family who owns it or the, the individual who owns it should pay some form of taxes on it. It can't go untaxed forever where workers don't don't have that don't have that they're getting they're they're getting taxed every single day and these these folks aren't i'm, I'm trying to understand how to think about that yeah what, what, what i'd say andrew is that's not an estate tax issue that's that's a tax issue right so uh, and, and that's something that i think we, we we could look at and could address but to that farmer uh you're talking about uh it, it may be a small part of the estate tax it's a big part of his life and his family's life and and i would just tell you it's if you look at what the effect of the proposal that both the Biden administration and Bernie Sanders have floated, and, and other Democrats have as, as well, it's going to be incredibly damaging to small businesses. And, you know, that's what our country runs on. You know, half the people in America work for small businesses. It's about 95% of our companies are passed through companies. So you've got to be really careful because that's what is going to get us out of this pandemic uh, recession that we were in in a, in a strong way for lasting economic growth. Senator Portman, Congressman Gottheimer, I want to thank you both for being with us. Uh, good luck today. Let us know what happens at the White House. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone. Go okay. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, yep. Good night, John Boy. Rob Portman. No, no, no. <laughs> Josh Heimer is unique. We're all Josh Heimer yeah. is unique. It's a really good... Uh, Although he's part of a caucus of 30-something members yeah. in the House yeah. that are trying to work from... Both sides. So I said Josh Heimer, and you didn't even see that I was oh. saying it. You just... okay. He's used to it, too. <laughs> and that's the podcast for today. Thanks for being here. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod and tell a friend to as well. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.